Well, good morning, everyone. I'd like to thank you for joining us this Sunday as we continue our study of the Psalms. I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 130. Psalm 130. Now, I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. I want you to pause and think about this. How do you tend to deal with your guilt? When you know that you have done something wrong, how do you handle the fact that you were in the wrong? Now, it's a question that we all have to address in our lives because we all have acted wrongly. We have all sinned. We have failed to love our neighbor as ourselves. We failed to love God with our whole being. We have spoken mean and harsh words that have hurt others. We've lied to cover over our own weaknesses or wrongdoings. We've acted out of jealousy for what other people have or the experiences that they enjoy. We've looked lustfully at people and images that we should not have. We've allowed anger to motivate us to physically or emotionally harm other people. As the Apostle Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Or as the Apostle John puts it, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We all sin. Therefore, we all have guilt. And therefore, we all have to deal with that guilt in some form or fashion. Now, there are a few common ways that people deal with their guilt, and maybe you will see one of these resonating with how you respond to your own guilt. There are those of us who seek to suppress our guilt or to ignore our guilt. We make excuses. And again, the words of John, we deceive ourselves, believing that we have no guilt. And yet we're deceiving no one else. Everyone else can see that we are guilty, but we deal with our guilt by way of blindfold, like the ostrich who sticks his head in the ground and pretends, if I don't see it, if I don't acknowledge it, then it's not there. Or maybe you're like others who deal with your guilt through good deeds. There's a sense, hey, if I can make up the debt that I have created, then I will no longer be guilty. If I give enough money away to charity, then I will balance the scales of justice. No doubt many a hospital wing is named after a guilt-ridden soul. For often the most self-righteous among us are the ones that feel the most guilty. Or maybe you are like those who hide behind religious rituals. You know, if I say enough prayers, if I say the right prayers, my guilt will be relieved. If a priest or a shaman performs the right ritual over me, then I will be free from my guilt. And this takes place even within our own churches. I was once at a church that had an altar call at the end of every single service. And the same person no matter what the sermon was on, would go up front every single week seeking desperately to have some rite, some ritual that she had could have assurance that her guilt was taken away. And sadly, others will pursue self-punishment for their guilt. Maybe you felt this way. You thought, you know, if I've wronged someone else, then maybe I need to bring evil or harm to myself to make up for it. 
I'll put myself in time out. I will punish myself. This self-punishment can be in the form of self-loathing or depression. Sadly, many practice self-mutilation. A report from the New York Times says that one in five adolescents have practiced cutting as a way of dealing with emotional stress and anxiety. And when you isolate that to young ladies, the number increases drastically. And yet others find more subtle ways of punishing themselves, sabotaging all the good things in their lives because they have a sense that they are not worthy of anything good. And of course, there are a myriad of other ways, other harmful ways of dealing with guilt. So how are we to deal with the guilt that we have in a way that is not harmful, but actually brings forgiveness and healing in our lives? Our psalm for this morning is about guilt and it's about forgiveness. It's about a man who calls out to the Lord because of his guilt and is about why the Lord graciously brings forgiveness to his life. And what we will see is that if we would know true forgiveness in our lives, if we would have a true relief of our guilt, we must deal with our guilt according to God's grace given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. So here now, the word of the Lord. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption, and He will redeem Israel from all His iniquity. This is the word of the Lord for God's people. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you now. Not one of us unique in our experience of guilt. And yet each of us unique in how we process and seek to deal with that guilt. We pray, O God, that as we turn to your word, that you would unite us to the one relief for our guilt the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. May as we read Your Word and as we turn our attention to it, would Your Spirit so open our eyes that we would see the true path of forgiveness through Him alone. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Now, as we have just read, and even as we heard in our assurance of pardon this morning, verse 8 of our text gives us this assurance. You can look there. It says, and he, that is God, will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. He will forgive. He will redeem Israel. He will forgive his people from all of their sins. What an amazing promise of grace. 
God will forgive His people of all their sins. This promise is not merely that He will forgive some of their sins or that He will forgive certain types of sins. No, the promise is all-encompassing. The Lord will forgive all the sins of His people. And this is the promise that is extended to you this day as well. There is complete and total forgiveness of all your guilt offered to you from the Lord God Almighty. There is a promise that though your sins are like scarlet, they will be washed white as snow. There is a promise that though you stand condemned, you will be justified. Though you committed the crime, you may be acquitted. How then does this forgiveness come about? How can we have confidence and assurance that God will truly forgive all of our sins? Well, this is what Psalm 130 is about. is about building our assurance that even though we call out from the depths, God will surely forgive our sins. So look down at verses 1 through 4 again. We read, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Now, as you can clearly see, the psalmist is calling out to the Lord from a place of great need and great humility. He is feeling deeply the weight of his guilt and he speaks of being in the very depths. That is, he is in the midst of great turmoil. And he pleads with the Lord to have mercy on him and declares that God's all-seeing eye makes it so that no one can be found innocent before him. No one could stand. And yet, it is not the humility of the psalmist confession that is the grounds for forgiveness. He is not saying, I plead with you, God, and because I plead with you, therefore you must forgive me. Yes, we must approach the Lord with humility for our sin. Yes, we must come to him with a broken and contrite heart. But it is not the level of humility or brokenness that is the ground for a sinner's forgiveness. As though we are playing a game of limbo with the Lord. And if you get yourself low enough, you can pass under the stick of his forgiveness. Rather, the ground of our forgiveness is found in verse 4. Again, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Here we see our first assurance of God's forgiveness of our sins. The first reason why we deal with our guilt by fleeing to the Lord. God will forgive our sin Not for the sake of our pleading, but for the sake of His glory, for the sake of His Word. There is forgiveness, not because I was contrite enough, but rather so that the name of the Lord God Almighty might be feared. It sounds a bit strange that forgiveness and fear are connected in this way. I believe that we might think that an unforgiving God might be more fearful Why is it that the psalm says there is forgiveness that you might be feared? Well, we miss the point if our understanding of fear is so narrowly conceived as fright or terror. 
Rather, we must understand fear to mean reverence and honor. God forgives that he might be honored for his great worth and glory. Listen to how this same truth is reflected in Jeremiah 33. The Lord says of his people, I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me. Right? Another promise of forgiveness of all sin. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me. I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. Do you see the connection? I will forgive all the sins of my people so that the world might see the good that I do to them and they might give my name glory. The reason, the solid ground upon which you can be assured that God will redeem you from your sin is God's relentless drive to glorify His own name among the nations. You see, we know, and we have been rightly taught that the chief end of man is to glorify God. That is what you were created for. That was your purpose. That is why God made you. But what we must understand is that God's chief end is also to glorify God. God desires to glorify Himself. God desires and moves to make His holiness known among the nations. That's why God made you, so that you would glorify Him. That is why God made the rest of creation, to sing forth His praise and to glorify His name. That's why He's given you His Word. That's why He has chosen to forgive the sin of His people, that His name might be glorified. We have things completely upside down when we put our worth and our value at the center of God's willingness to pardon our sin. For what what logic does it make to say, you know, God's going to forgive me because I'm worthy of forgiveness. If you are worthy, then you don't need forgiveness in the first place. The murderer is not worthy to be acquitted, though. The sinner is not worthy to be forgiven. And if you think that God's forgiveness of your guilt is contingent upon your worth of being forgiven, you will never have assurance that you have been forgiven because there will always be evidence to the contrary. There will always be evidence pointing out and saying, no, you are not worthy. And so how do you have assurance You turn your hope upon the Lord and His relentless drive to glorify His name to forgive sinners. You are not worthy to be forgiven, but God is worthy to forgive. His glory is of such greatness that He pardons sin and iniquity. The reason that we have confidence that God will forgive us is not because we deserve it, but because God deserves to be feared among the nations. And therefore... The way that you deal with your guilt is not by building up your worth and having confidence in your goodness, but rather the way that you have assurance is by looking to the worth of God Almighty and knowing that He is moving to glorify His name among the nations. So that is the first way that we have assurance as shown from our text. 
The second way that we must deal with our guilt is to wait for the Lord with assurance that God will forgive all of our iniquity for the sake of His Word. For the sake of His Word. Look at verses 5 through 6. There we read, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in His Word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. Now a watchman would have been assigned the task of staying up throughout the night to assure that no danger would befall the city. Right? Our own pastor Mike Palumbo, right? He's been the watchman for little Eliana throughout the night. Making sure that little Eliana doesn't have any harm befall her. And I'm sure he looks for the day to come with great hope. For the watchman must stay up throughout the night, hoping that there is no incident. And so he waited and waited for the sun to rise and to end his long night of watching. And the psalmist says that in like fashion, he is waiting on the Lord for forgiveness. Now, the watchman has great hope and assurance that the morning will eventually come. Each day the sun rises, and while the night might seem long, he realizes that the sun will eventually rise. And in the same fashion, we are called to wait on the forgiveness of the Lord with great confidence that it will surely come. Why? Not because we wait for it, right? We don't cause the sun to rise because we wait for it, but rather we have confidence because God's Word has promised forgiveness. God has continually promised throughout His Word that He is indeed a God who pardons His people of their sin. When the Lord revealed Himself to Moses, He said in Exodus 34, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And throughout His Word, the Lord has promised that He will forgive the sin of His people. This promise came to its height in the ministry and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who proclaimed repentance and the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus is what the apostles proclaimed as they preached the Gospel. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes, In Him, that's in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. How do you deal with your sin and your guilt? You wait with hope upon the Word of the Lord. You look to the promises of God with great assurance and hope that if He promises it, it will surely come to pass, even as surely as the sun rises each morning. We would be fools to trust the word of any man for the forgiveness of our sins because men break their word constantly. The ever-changing nature of man's word has been on full display this week as both Republicans and Democrats have incredulously flipped their opinions on filling a Supreme Court vacancy in an election year. 
Now, who's correct and what we should do? I'll leave that to the constitutional experts. Nevertheless, the leading voices of our republic have shown that expediency is more important than their word. They're willing to say one thing four years ago and another thing, the complete opposite actually, now. But the word of God does not change. He does not flip his verdict to fit the times. He doesn't say, you know what? I said I would forgive sin, but man, I didn't know you were going to do that. No way am I going to forgive you for that. He does not flip his verdict with the times. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains the same forever. And his word promises that he will forgive all the sins of his people. It is sure, it is certain, there is no greater guarantee than you can receive than when you read in the Word of God, I will forgive their sin. How are you to deal with your guilt? You go to the Word of God and read the promises of His Word that He will forgive all your iniquity. You see, we plead and we wait for forgiveness Because of God's worth. Because of God's word. And the third thing I want you to see in our psalm is that we deal with our guilt by placing our hope on the work of God. On His worth, on His word, and on His work. Look down at verses 7 through 8. They say this, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption, and He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. The word translated there, steadfast love, means love shown through faithfulness to a promise. Right? You're going to read throughout God's Word, especially in the Psalms, but throughout God's Word, this, this phrase, steadfast love. And it is a translation of one Hebrew word that means that God shows his love for us by keeping the promises that he has made. God made a promise to redeem his people from their sin, and he will act to fulfill that promise. He will show us steadfast love. He will accomplish redemption. And this work of redemption came to its fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. So that all of our sin would be forgiven. Jesus makes this connection on the night when he instituted the Lord's Supper. When he came to the cup, he said these very familiar words. For this cup is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. In Jesus' words, we see God's steadfast love to forgive all of our sins. For the covenant of which Jesus speaks is a promise. A covenant is a promise. And God made a covenant promise to forgive sins. God's word has proclaimed it. And God's son has accomplished it through shedding his blood. You see, the reason that we feel guilty when we sin is because we are guilty when we sin. Our subjective feeling is reflective of an objective reality of guilt. We have sinned and therefore we are under the just wrath and condemnation 
of God because of our sin. That is why the psalmist is in the depths. He is under God's wrath and curse. But to relieve us of both the feeling and more than that, and more importantly than that, the penalty of sin, Jesus Christ offered himself in our place. For the wages of sin, what we earn by our sin is death. But Jesus stood in our place. He took on our guilt and he died for our sake. He was condemned so that we might be forgiven. God ensured our forgiveness through Jesus's punishment on the cross. For Jesus was without sin. He was pure and he was the spotless lamb. He, has off, he was offered, therefore, as a redeeming sacrifice so that we might have sure forgiveness of our sin. This is what Paul means when he says in Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. That is, they are forgiven by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. You see, we are all guilty. But we can hope in the forgiveness of all of our sins because Jesus died in our place to propitiate. Now, that's a big word. We don't use it very often. And you might say, what's this word? What does this mean to be put forward as a propitiation? This word means to turn aside the wrath of God. So when it says God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, it means that when Jesus poured out his blood, the guilt and the condemnation and all of the guilty verdicts that were brought against us because of our sin were turned away from us to the person of Jesus Christ. That is what it means that He propitiated. It means that all the guilt that was on you, that you deserved to have, was lifted off of you. That burden was taken off of you. It was turned aside and it was put on the Lord Jesus Christ as He died upon the cross so that He was condemned, so that you will be forgiven. How do you have assurance? How do you deal with the guilt in your life? You don't look to your own acts, for you are truly a guilty sinner. But you look to the blood of Jesus Christ, believing that Christ was offered up as a substitute for you, so that by His death you might have life. That's how you deal with your guilt. Not looking inward to yourself, but looking to the cross of Jesus Christ and knowing that it is there that there is full redemption. How do you deal with your guilt? You place your faith in Christ alone and know that it is in Him that you have forgiveness. You see, often the world, the enemy... And even our own deceitful hearts burden us with guilt. The accusations are nothing new. You are not worthy of forgiveness. Your sins are too great. You sin too often. Your sin has too wide of an effect. And I know that you have felt this guilt before. You have been openly shamed. And you know, I am in the wrong. And yet we misunderstand the Lord's forgiveness if we believe it's contingent and limited. Many times we give in to such feelings. We begin to doubt if we are forgiven and we again go down all the wrong paths to deal with this guilt. Avoidance, 
self-justification, religious rituals, and self-punishment. But those who are in Christ need only plead with the Lord, wait on the Lord, and hope in the Lord for the sake of His worth, for the sake of His word, and for the sake of His work in Christ. He will forgive all your sins. You see, our forgiveness is not contingent on our behavior. It is not contingent or limited by particular sins. But Psalm 130 teaches us that the Lord forgives all of our sins. Through Jesus Christ. This means that all of your past sins have been forgiven. It means that all the sins that you are presently dealing with and fighting against have been forgiven. And it means that all of your future sins have already been forgiven. Sometimes we can get confused about this forgiveness of sin. Because we are called upon to continually confess our sins throughout our lives as Christians. Even in our worship service, we have a time of confession and assurance of pardon. But we must understand that we are rehearsing the gospel of forgiveness. We are not receiving more forgiveness in that hour. We repent once of our sin, place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are forgiven once and for all. And then throughout our lives, we confess our sins daily, not to be forgiven, but to receive assurance that we have been forgiven and given the power to fight and overcome the lingering effects of sin. For all who are in Christ by God's grace through faith in his redeeming work have had their guilt dealt with once and for all. It is done. As the Lord Jesus Christ said upon the cross, it is finished. So plead with the Lord. Wait on the Lord, hope in the Lord, for he will redeem all his people from all their sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you now this time and we pray. Lord, if there is any who are outside of Christ, who are in this room, or who are hearing this sermon through the live stream, that do not know you, that do not know the relief, that do not know the joy of sins forgiven in Christ, that you would open up their eyes and that you would give to them new life through Jesus Christ. Father, so often we make this a very complicated issue, and yet we know that it is your work and not our work. It is what you are doing and not what we are doing. So I pray that in this moment, if there is any who seek to come to know you, Lord, that they would simply trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sin, that they would repent and that they would believe in his blood alone. We pray, O oh God, for those here among us who are struggling with sin. Father, I pray that in the midst of their battle with sin, that they would know that even as they fight this battle, the war has already been won and they have been forgiven. Father, I pray for those who have walked with the Lord many years. I pray that they would continue to grow in their assurance and that they would see more and more the depths of your forgiveness of their sin. And we pray, O oh God, that you would carry us all safe through this world, 
unto the world everlasting in which we will walk in the joy of eternal forgiveness through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's in His name that we do pray. Amen.